Well, good morning. Happy Easter. If you're old school, I'll say, he is risen. That's right. I once had a guy almost punch me in the face because I was like 20 years old and I was like, I'm not going to say that back to you. Happy Easter. And he was like, he like really like made me say it. I remember that guy. But that's not what we're here about. We're not here to remember those times. Um, it's Easter, and we're here to uh, talk about other things. You know, Easter's been uh, on my mind, as you can imagine. Um, it's actually kind of a funny time for pastors, for people in my line of work. Don't get me wrong, like, pastors really love Easter. We really do. We're, like, actually celebrating. But it's a little weird because um, you really feel anxious. You feel anxious that after you get off, after your, your sermon, someone's going to come up to you and say, hey, you said that same thing last year. Um, uh, like, uh, if you, because that's what you're going to do. You're going to say pretty much the same thing you said last year. Uh, if you ever want to, like, watch a bunch of guys having a nervous breakdown on the internet, which is fun, um, just follow a bunch of pastors on Twitter the week before Easter, and just, like, they're all just like, it's really going to be okay. You can really just say the same thing. It's fine. You don't have to come up with a new way of saying it. It's just, it's just true. He's risen. He's risen indeed. You've been saying it for so long, and it's okay. Uh, because, you know, we want to be creative, and we want to have uh, something special to say, but we're just doing the same thing each year. The Easter story did not change from, from last year to this year. It's been the same story for 2,000 years. Jesus died on a cross on Friday. He died like he's dead. He means he ceased to live. They took his dead body because it was dead, and they embalmed it because he's dead, and that's what you did back then, and you wrap it up in, in grave clothes, burial shroud, because that's what you do to dead bodies back then, and they put it in a tomb and sealed the tomb because he was dead, and that's what you do with people who are dead. Put him in a tomb, and then his disciples and his family were, were mourning, they were grieving because he was dead, and that's what you do when someone dies. They were, they were grieving over the fact that he had died. And, and, and they knew he was dead. Everybody knew he was dead. And then something happened on the third day. Two women are on their way to mourn him because he's dead and they're sad about it. And they're going to go, go pray and, and, and anoint, the, anoint his body with, with oil because that's what you do to someone who's dead when you're grieving them. And then when they get to the tomb, something crazy happens and, and we can read about it in scripture. It says this, there was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. And the guards were so shaken by fear of him that they had become like dead men. And the Bible is so crazy. <laughs> the Easter story is so crazy. It's just as crazy this year as it always has been. Because, I mean, let's like use our imaginations. Let's put ourselves into this moment. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, you know, because they weren't that creative about names back then. Uh, they came up to the tomb and there's an earthquake. We don't know if the earthquake was like overnight or if it's as they're walking up, but there's this earthquake. They come up to the tomb and they see an angel whose appearance is like lightning. He's, he's white as snow, which is, I guess, like standard angel look. And there's all these guards who are outside the tomb. They all see him, and they just pass out. They're, they're on the floor, passed out. And so Mary and Mary come up to the tomb, and what do they see? Well, they just see an open tomb. 
an open tomb that should be closed. And there's not a dead body in it. There's nothing in it. Jesus is not in the tomb. And what they see instead is just like a bunch of half-dead, passed-out soldiers and an angel just casually sitting on the top of a rock, like on a park bench, just sitting here, sitting there. And what happens? He goes on. The angel told the women, don't be afraid. Good. (laughs) Don't be afraid because I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He's risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay and then go quickly and tell his disciples. He's risen from the dead and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee and you'll see him there. Listen, I've told you. So what happens? I mean, the angel, I sees them. He says, oh, good. Glad that you could make it. I've been sitting here waiting for you. I explains to them that they shouldn't be afraid, which is good because, I mean, by judging by all the, like, the bodies strewn around of the guards, you might be afraid initially. He says, no, you don't need to be afraid because I'm just here waiting for you and I have something to tell you. I'm actually just here to show you that Jesus isn't here and that, that you can go ahead and look in the tomb. It's like, it's like a realtor casually showing them like a one-bedroom cave view. It's like, see, he's not in there anymore. It's empty. Check it out. Go in and see. You put Jesus in this tomb. Now he's not there anymore. That's where Jesus was. He's not there anymore, not because anyone's taken him, but because he's risen from the dead, just like he said he was going to, and he's going to meet you. Go and tell your friends about it. Oh, the resurrection is so weird. The Bible is so weird sometimes. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's cool. The resurrection is really cool. It's awesome. Jesus died, not so great, but he rose again. So great, so cool. But I just, like, sometimes I get around and I think about the Easter story and I start to ask a question. And I think it's a question that a lot of us ask, if we're honest. The question I'm always asking myself as I go ahead and prepare an, an Easter message is what's the big deal? Like, why is that? I mean, you know, why is this such a particularly big deal? I mean, I get it. Obviously, dying and coming back to life is awesome, but is it more awesome than, say, all the other miracles that Jesus did? Because he was always doing crazy things. Bible says he was turning water into wine. That's pretty great. Is that less awesome than dying and rising from the grave? What's so significant about this one thing that it's so special and so particular? Like, what am I missing? Like, Jesus raised other people from life, like Lazarus. Jesus did lots of intense things. He healed people. What's the big deal about this one thing? And the Gospels, it's funny, the Gospels do not help us at all to answer this question. Like you read the Gospels, you know, like the four accounts of Jesus's life, his death and his resurrection. And basically like Jesus dies, he's crucified, he raises again, and then it's like the end. They just tell you a story and they don't tell you why it matters and what's the big deal about all of this. But we know it's really important. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, Paul, like he's just like the big apologist of Jesus. He tells people what Jesus was all about. He explains that understanding the resurrection is a matter of first importance. It's a matter of first importance. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, I delivered to you as first importance that which I also received, this message that I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. See, Paul was super insistent, and here we go, you're going to see me draw, I'm sorry, but it has to be done. 
He was insistent that these two things were first important. First of all, Jesus' death on a cross. Oh, it's so bad. I can't even draw a cross very well, but you're going to forgive me because you're Christians. Okay? <laughs> Jesus died on a cross as according to the scriptures, a matter of first important. And then it's going to get even worse, guys, because I'm going to try to draw a tomb. Okay? So there's a stone. I'm going to have to tell you what it is because, again, it's really bad. There you go. An empty tomb. He insists that these two things were really important. The uh, Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection that were really important. They're matters of first importance and according to scriptures. But why? Why are these two events so essential? Like, why are these the things of first importance and what do they mean? And here's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to just make my best effort, again, with my limited skills, to explain that. I'm going to move this up here and move it this so that you can actually see it a little bit. Okay? Good? I looked for a flannel graph. I couldn't find one. So we just use this. Look, the question of why is the resurrection so important, uh, I think it's lost on most of us. And it's lost on me because um, these scriptures, the Bible was not written to me with, with me in mind. It had an audience, the original audience for the gospels and the scriptures was um, someone who is not like me, who doesn't think like me, who doesn't know all the same things that I know, and we lose some things. The gospels were written actually to religious Jews in the first century. That is, people who were practicing Judaism and living 2,000 years ago. And those people had a very specific understanding of what the resurrection was, what it was all about. And so when we talk about the word resurrection among Jews of the first century, they just have a very well-defined concept of what that is. And it wasn't, as we think, just the general idea of people dying and then coming back to life. Rather, they believed that there was an order to things and that the resurrection was a part of this giant order. This is a part of their worldview, what they thought about the whole story of God. The resurrection was a part of that. And the order was essentially this. God created everything a long time ago, right? He created the Garden of Eden, a garden. And if you thought my drawing was bad, just wait till you see my handwriting. God created the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden was this good place where people could connect with God, talk to him, share a life with him. They understood that was what happened. And, but they, they also had this understanding of something that had happened. That's that uh, sin came into the world through Adam. Adam and Eve sinned. Adam sins. Man gets kicked out of the garden and death comes into the world as a result of sin. Something happened where God created everything good, everything right, where people could be in relationship with him, where he could connect with them, talk to them, explain to them how much he loves them, guide them, lead them in life, and yet people left that relationship through sin and death came into the world.
And for a first century Jew, that was sort of the, the backstory of life up to this point. The Jews believed that God was in the process, though, of remaking, reestablishing what was lost at the garden, reconnecting them to himself. They believed that God was up to something, and they believed that God was going to do something. Something was going to happen. They believed that one day someone would come, and this someone would reverse the course of history. He would reverse the sin of Adam and the consequence of it, death. And that person was going to come and save Israel. That person they called the Messiah. They thought of him as the Messiah, the one who was going to come save Israel from their sins and from death. And this person they called Messiah was going to come and reestablish God's rule just like it was in the garden. And they called this the kingdom. He was going to come and set up a kingdom where God would be in control of his people. God would rule, be among people again, and sin and death would be no more. God's will and his reign and his rule would happen. The Messiah was going to come. He was going to save Israel. He was going to judge Israel's enemies because they can't come in. They hate God, right? He's, so they need to be judged. They need to be killed, and Israel needs to be reestablished and God needs to be glorified and the Messiah is going to come and do that and then everything will be just like the garden. But that's not all that they believed. They actually believed that something even cooler than that was gonna happen. Not only is the Messiah going to come and not only are, is Israel going to be vindicated, is their enemies destroyed and judged, but they were going to be coming into the kingdom and then everybody who had died in the hope of the Messiah was going to be resurrected. That's what we have right here, that fancy rubber band. It's a multimedia presentation, guys. Spent a lot of money on this for you this morning. I think it's worth the expense. There was an idea in Israel that resurrection was coming on the heels of the Messiah coming on the, right after the nations would be judged. Everyone, all faithful Jews, people had been hoping in the, in, in the coming kingdom, the, the reestablishment of what God was doing, they would be resurrected to live life in the kingdom with God. Because it would be a bummer if you just died in this hope and you never saw it. And so if you died in the hope of the Messiah, in the hope of the kingdom, then you would be resurrected into the kingdom. This was the understanding that a first century Jew had about the world. The Messiah was gonna come back. He was going to resurrect people and then the Jews were gonna be in the kingdom of God. Everything was going to be fixed. So, for a first century Jew, the word resurrection meant something very specific. N.T. Wright says it this way. He says, no first century Jew prior to Easter expected the resurrection to be anything other than a large-scale event happening to all of God's people as part of a sudden event in which the kingdom of God would finally come on earth as in heaven. So the meaning of a resurrection is lost, I think, on many of us because we don't have this general worldview. We don't have the same expectation that they had. But if we, if we want to know what the, uh, what, what, what the resurrection means, we have to understand that 
Jesus coming to earth really messes with this paradigm. And so we've got to understand kind of the, the background of it. It messes with this paradigm in two very important ways. First, the resurrection, Jesus's resurrection, is a very messianic event. This Messiah they were expecting to come at the end of the time to judge their enemies and then to save them. Jesus basically signals through his death and resurrection that he's that Messiah. He's died on the cross. He is resurrecting, and he is the one who saves. That's his message to the people in a way that he communicates without words. And secondly, the resurrection messes uh, with, with the first century expectations of what all this was going to look like because, because uh, of how it makes the kingdom of God look. See, everyone was sure of the timeline. The Messiah was going to come. He was going to judge our enemies. And then he was going to set up this kingdom. The whole world was going to know. History was essentially going to stop when the Messiah showed up and set up the kingdom. Resurrection was going to be the dividing line, the thing that past this point, the kingdom would come. And what does Jesus do? Well, he messes with this timeline, with the expected timeline. Here's where I'm going to really mess something up. All right, yeah, I'll let that fall down there. You get the idea. What Jesus says is this thing you're expecting to come at some point, it's happening now. It's happening now in the middle of all this stuff, this kingdom that you're waiting for. You're waiting for judgment to come. You're waiting for the Messiah to come to set up his kingdom. The kingdom is happening now, right here, right now. The kingdom is available. The Messiah is come. He is saving right now. So resurrection that we celebrate here on Easter, it means something big for a first century Jew. See, Easter is a big deal, and the resurrection of Jesus is a big deal. It meant something. It meant something. The Gospels didn't have to explain why the resurrection was a big deal because it totally meant something to the people who heard about it and were there. It meant, and it still means, that the kingdom of God is coming, and it's not going to look like the world hitting a wall at 60 miles an hour which is kind of what most of Israel was hoping. They're like, all of these enemies, they need to be judged. They need to be get messed with. They need to be stopped. Instead, it looks like something different. The resurrection is the presence of God's kingdom now. It is the availability of the restored presence of God for the whole world now. The resurrection is the love and grace of God lifted high for all to see. It's not the judgment that the, the first century Jews were expecting to come against their enemies. Instead, it's the kingdom of God, the renewal of all creation, the mercy of God poured out on a broken world. Instead of a, of a warring God come to destroy his enemies, he comes like a peacemaker. 
Instead of having the world be judged and hit a wall straight on so that people are destroyed, he says, I want to keep you from that. I'm going to bring this resurrection event so that you can come into my kingdom and have life and you're going to have it right now. You're going to know who I am. I'm the Messiah who saves. As you trust in me, I'm going to lead you from death, from sin, into life and peace and reconciliation. Jesus is totally messing with everyone's expectations. He came, he died, he was raised to life so that we could live, so that these people could live, that they could have life eternal with him. And so that we, along with Israel and along with those who put their hope in God, who trust in the Messiah, we can have a future that does not come to an abrupt and awful and painful end. <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Paul, he was, he was so insistent that the resurrection mattered, right? Of course it matters because it means everything. It is absolutely an indication of what God is doing. And it is so different from all that we might have expected. It's God's, God's uh, moving in history and bringing about mercy and enter, bringing in the kingdom so that people could come into it. And Paul was insistent that the resurrection matters. And he actually said some, some other things, right? He says this uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, like we looked at before. He says, he, raised, he was raised on the third day, according to scriptures. I always wondered about that. Um, have you ever asked yourself, like, where in scripture it says uh, that the Messiah would be raised again after three days? You ever done that Bible study? Because you can do it, you can do it like with the cross, and you know, we can, we can see there's plenty of Old Testament scripture that points us to the fact that, that, that uh, the Messiah would die but there's actually not really much scripture that shows us that he was going to be raised after three days. It's, it's sort of puzzling if you do the work. But what we see, what we do see when it comes to the idea of three days is we see that God works in three-day intervals a lot of times. In the creation account, Three days is significant. On the third day, God does really miraculous things. He brings life from nothing. And then on the sixth day, which is really a second set of threes, right? He creates man. When Abraham is going to sacrifice Isaac, God provides a way on the third day so that there won't be death. Instead, there'll be life and sacrifice. When God affirms the covenant at Sinai, telling them, I love you, I care about you, I'm gonna make a way for you, I will be faithful to you despite your unfaithfulness, he does it on the third day. Whenever we see God making strides to demonstrate his plan, his plan for redemption, his plan for renewal, thank you so much. I so appreciate that. He does it on the third day. The third day is the day that God's people see his mercy. They hear his promises. They know his faithfulness. And it is a repeated pattern all throughout scripture. The third day is a day where there's renewal and life and peace. And Jesus knew that. In fact, he talks about the third day a lot of times. In the gospels, he mentions it 21 times. One of the um, one time I think is pretty cool. Jesus is dealing with the Pharisees, right? And it's sort of the most explicit 
um, statement of Jesus about, about, about the third day and about resurrection. He's dealing with the Pharisees. That's people who've been trying to figure Jesus out, people who've been trying to say, Jesus, you, you seem to not quite, quite know what our plan is, right? You seem to not quite get it. And we're trying to see, do you fit in with it the way we think you should fit in with it, right? And so they're always asking him questions and asking him to prove if he really knows what's up and if he really could be this one, this Messiah who's, you know, going to destroy our enemies and then lead us into victory. And then he tells them, he tells these people who are trying to just, you know, uh, manipulate his words and, and get these things out of him. He says this, an evil and adulterous generation, it demands a sign because they're coming to him asking him, prove us that you're, that you're awesome. Do a miracle for us. He says, an evil and adulterous generation demands a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of a huge fish, I love huge fish, it had to be huge, yeah, three days and three nights, so that the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. Jesus teaching about what's going on uh, in this three-day period in which he's sort of anticipating and, and teaching to them about, and they don't understand at all what he's talking about. He says, he says this is going to be to you like the sign of Jonah. And Jonah is a biblical character from the book of Jonah. Pretty easy to find, right? Uh, he's an interesting character because he's really a jerk. Um, see, he's told by God to go to Nineveh. Nineveh is this wicked city and they're totally enemies of Israel. They're always attacking and bothering Israel. And he's told to go there, which is not something he wants to do. Uh, in Jonah 1, uh, 1, he hears this from the Lord. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because they're evil has come up before me. But Jonah doesn't like this task, right? Because he says, well, God, I know what you're doing. I'm going to go there, and then I'm going to preach, you know, the message that I'd like to have, which is God's going to get you, and then you're going to do something else, right? He explains his thinking in Jonah 4, 2. He says, that's why I fled towards Tarshish, because he doesn't go. Instead, he goes away to Tarshish instead of to Nineveh. He says, I knew that you, God, are gracious. You're compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. He says, I didn't want to go there because I was going to preach. And then you're going to do this whole forgiveness and love thing that you always do. You're compassionate. You're kind. When people repent, you turn away wrath. And I wanted them to have the wrath. I wanted them to be destroyed. I hate those Ninevites. Joe didn't, didn't want to go to Nineveh because he didn't want to see God be merciful to his enemies. But that plan just doesn't work out very well for Jonah. As he's fleeing, right, there's a long, it's not that long of a story. You can read it. It's pretty short. Uh, but basically, he gets thrown into the sea, and he gets swallowed up by a huge fish. And for three days and three nights, he stays there. And then he's spit out on the shores of Nineveh. And then he goes into the city, and he does rather begrudgingly the thing that God asked him to do. And he tells them, you guys need to repent. God's going to bring judgment unless you do. And what do the people do? They repent and God relents. God forgives. See, Jonah went into the fish, this stubborn man 
unwilling to preach mercy, unwilling to have God be the way God is because he wants his enemies judged. And he comes out of the fish with a message, not of his own creation, right? But a message that God sends him to preach, that God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in faithfulness to those who relent. So repent and turn to him and have life. See, if you were a first century Jew, the resurrection was good news because you thought it meant all your enemies were finally going to get what they deserved. But Jesus comes back on the third day and he says, I'm singing a different tune. This Messiah, this warring Messiah that you expected is not the one who's out to get your enemies. He's not even out to get you, you who think you're so holy and right. This is actually the God who's come to make peace and to dispense mercy and not justice or whatever our idea of justice is. It's the God who comes with the power of grace and love, not the power of judgment. It's God who comes showing that he's offering life instead of death. It's the God who is coming with terms of peace instead of a declaration of war. On the third day, God does what he's been doing in a pattern throughout Scripture, bringing life, bringing hope, bringing renewal for those who were far off, who had no expectation that they could ever have it. Unexpectedly, God is renewing things. God is making a way for salvation and peace and resurrection. So yeah, the resurrection was a huge deal because it changed the whole picture of what the Jews thought God was doing and what we think of God as being like. It shows us that God cares, he lives, and he makes a way for us to know him. Worship team's gonna come up here as, as we wrap up. But it's a big deal that he is alive. And the world is not the same place anymore. Our understanding of who God is, is full. And what we can see now is that God's big plan is not just to like wipe the slate clean and destroy all his enemies, but his big plan is actually to bring forward his kingdom and to put his Messiah, the one who's going to save Jesus, up so that all could see so that all could know and understand that this resurrection, his death on the cross, which takes away sin, is available for all, so that all could come into the kingdom now instead of facing judgment. All could know the mercy and love of God now if only they would just come by faith and believe what the resurrection says about who God is and believe but God is a God who turns away wrath and who takes away sin. I want to read from you uh, Ephesians 2, 4 through 8, as we just wrap up here. Such a beautiful picture of what happens when people hear this message and just say, okay, God. Like, I, I think you're telling me something in this, this resurrection message, and I think you have something for me. This is, what, this is what it's like to hear that message and to respond to it. God is rich in mercy 
because of his great love that he had for us. He made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You're saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and he seated with us, uh, us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. You're saved by grace through faith. That's not of yourselves. It's God's gift. What we celebrate today as we celebrate the resurrection is the gift that God gives us. He sends his son to die on the cross to take away the penalty of sin. And then as we trust in what God has done, as we put our faith in him, in this Messiah, we have life. We can have life. We can have this relationship with God restored. The resurrection means something. It means that right here, right now, Jesus is presented to every person as a gift, the gift of salvation, the gift that takes away sin, that brings us back into right relationship with God. And as we accept this gift, as we just take it for what it is and recognize it, put our faith in this Jesus who has come to die for on our behalf, we have life with him. We have peace with him. You're saved by grace. That's what we celebrate this morning. That's what the resurrection tells us. God just wants you to know who he is. He's gracious. He's kind. He's forgiving. And we can trust that. The resurrection is a gift. And so we are just celebrating this morning what Jesus has done. We're celebrating this morning that it's a free gift, something that we can just simply say, yes, Lord, I see that you've, it's not like even something that I need to make happen. I see you've already done the work. You've already shown us everything that is needed, Lord. You're just pronouncing what's true, that you are Messiah, come to save. You are the one who's come to take away wrath and to bring us into the kingdom. And so we simply respond to that gift by just saying, yes, Lord, I want to do that. I want to have that life. I want to turn from my old ways, my sin, the things that keep me blind to your goodness. And I want to just see that you are good, Lord, and you have good things for me. And I want to live in that place. That's what we get to do. That's what we get to do. We get the gift. And so, Lord, we thank you for your gift. Lord, I thank you for that you came, Lord, that you overcame death, you overcame sin, Lord. You made it so that we could have all the things that you've promised. God, you are reconciling all things to yourself. Lord, you're building your kingdom. Lord, you're doing a great work, Lord. You are, you are taking away sin. You are setting people free. You are bringing life into the world, Lord. We marvel at the resurrection, God. We marvel at your wisdom, God. We marvel at your mercy and your grace, Lord. And I thank you for it, Lord. Thank you for what you've done, Lord. Thank you for your kindness to us, Jesus. Thank you for overcoming death so that we could have life with you, eternal life. Amen.